0: I have driven for days through the unimaginably vast Australian outback in Western Australia. We have covered over one and a half megameters. That's over one and a half million meters, roughly a thousand miles, to be here, in the middle of nowhere, underneath the Earth's sun, which is an incredibly bright object and that blasts light in every direction through the solar system. The solar system, including the moon. So the moon casts a shadow, and roughly every year and a half, that shadow hits the Earth right here, which is why everyone has gathered. There are people here just to enjoy it. A lot of people have brought, like, amateur astronomy things, scientific instruments. In fact, my wife is here with a proper scientific experiment she's setting up as we speak. And I thought, well, I want to get involved. I want to collect some data, but not. With an off-the-shelf telescope, oh no, with my own handmade telescope, as that's a project that I gave to Past Matt. Past Matt here to make the telescope. Yes, I've got a beard, timer circular, and we need a few, well, three key components in a telescope. First of all, we need a tube, so we've gone and got a whole bunch of uh, post-inch tubes. That should do us for the tube. At one end, you've got to put some optics, maybe the other end too, like a mirror. I forget the exact details. Some level of optics, and then you need a sensor. So actually, we're going to start with the sensor. I've ordered one. It's in this box. So it literally arrived today. I'm very excited. Let's get it open. <laughs> Here it is. Look at that. It's a light meter. Oh, it comes in a carry case. This is going to be the most professional telescope ever. That's our sensor. It's a single pixel. People get real obsessed with having loads and loads of pixels to capture the image coming in through the optics. I think, no, one pixel! That way, number one, always stays in focus. Number two, you don't need any optics. You put your single pixel sensor at the end of a tube. Telescope done. Okay, so now we've got a single pixel working. This will, uh, tell me on the screen exactly how many, how many photons are hitting it, I guess, how bright it is and we just put this at the end of a tube and it becomes a telescope. The tube assembly process was taken on as a project by my producer Nicole and camera person Alex and my goodness, they did not hold back on the artistic flair. Handing it in very delicate, oh look at that, it's got, oh you got the, got the, (laughs) it's already been labeled. Look at that, all right, that's great. So it's the Parker scope. I thought we're gonna call it the Parker Solar Probe. What do you mean that's already been used? Honestly. By who? NASA! Never heard of them. Okay, so, so it's called the Parker Scope. As you can see, it's always in focus. One of the many, many features. And, uh, what's that? One by one resolution. zero point zero 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 one megapixels. Focal length infinity. Magnification zero. Optics, nope. All of these are for show only. They, they, do, they do nothing, I assume. They're just gonna make, um, me look more respected and less likely to be laughed at by the other, other astronomers at the Eclipse. We then cut down the parkascope to a much more manageable size and cut out a notch so that the light sensor could sit neatly inside the safety of the tube. With no tube, that's picking up 540, 530. There we go, that's good enough. It's still giving me 270. So we've lost half, half the brightness, but in theory, if I'm at the Eclipse, point that up at the sky, mount that there somewhere, plug it into a laptop to log all the data. This way, anyone kind of moving near it, it's not gonna pick up that. It's just gonna pick up the changing, changing brightness of the sky. So there you are, that is my gift uh, to Matt in Australia. Ha, amazing, let's set it up. What I'm thinking is, I don't want the telescope pointing at the sun, because then the brightness will change just because the sun will move in and out of shot. So I'm gonna have a pointing like away from the sun to just get like the ambient brightness because that's frankly all we've got the resolution for. Just the act of walking past changed the value. That's not a good sign. This changes slightly if I stand here. You know, I'm just gonna tape off that slot. My plan with the Parkoscope was simple. To leave it running for the entire three hours of the eclipse so I can get a complete plot of the brightness of the sky throughout the entire eclipse. The Parker Scope is running largely as planned. I've got the light sensor in the tube. It's all held together fine. All the knobs are still on the side. It then goes into the handheld unit, which, as we said before, is USB into the laptop. Now, that took a bit of programming. Uh, thankfully, my brother Steve is a much better programmer than me, and he actually worked out the way that you can, you know, query this and get the data back. And it's in a ridiculous format. It's actually base 10 digits, but they encode them as, as a hex. So you gotta take the binary that comes off, turn it to hex, take, oh, that's ridiculous. Anyway, I'll, I'll link to the code below. If anyone else has to battle with one of these, we've solved the problems, code below. All the terrible bits I wrote, good bits Steve wrote. So on my screen over here, it's putting up the values as they come in, both the original uh, bits of hex and I've, I'm decoding them. It's all being saved as we go along. And I can't help but say, what a professional looking outfit. <laughs> the park Scope is and how it does not look out of place next to actual scientific equipment with my wife here Professor Lucy Green. Uh, so Lucy what is, what is your right. actual kit doing? So,
1: My kit comes from the University of Aberystwyth and um, it's a telescope that they designed and built which ultimately collects data that allows us to measure the density of the gas in the atmosphere of the sun. So what we've got is a lens on the front and then a camera system which has in it um, a Polaroid filter basically. So the light that we're measuring from the atmosphere of the sun is polarized, then we know the polarization of the light coming through. It's important to know that because if we measure it, we can work out that ultimately the density of the gas in the atmosphere of the sun. And what's really nice is the name of the telescope is SIP, uh, the Coronal Imaging Polarizer, but it's a Welsh telescope. Ah. and SIP means glance in Welsh, which is really lovely. So glancing at the sun during the total phase.
0: Whereas Scope means uh, having a look at giving it a go. But the important thing is, it looks like a real bit of scientific kit.
1: I think they're indistinguishable.
0: Thank you. mine it's got more glue. And tape. than <laughs> tape. <laughs> hey! It's got tape. I had the scope running before the eclipse had officially started, so I could get a nice baseline brightness reading. And just to recap some of the terminology during an eclipse, we've got the moon coming towards the sun so far. No eclipse yet. First contact is when the very edge of the Moon touches the very edge of the Sun. And now, we're in eclipse town. We carry on, the Moon gradually covering more and more of the Sun. Second contact is when that leading edge of the Moon touches the far edge of the sun in our case we were going to have to wait for an hour and a half after first contact before we got second contact but now it's totality this is the dark part of the eclipse this is going to last about a minute for us before we have third contact that's where the trailing edge of the moon touches the edge of the sun and after that it gets bright again and an hour and a half later of watching the sky get gradually brighter and brighter, we have fourth contact, which is when the moon leaves the sun. The whole thing is about three hours from beginning to end. And if the Parker scope serves me well, I should have a plot of the brightness of the sky, a curve of how much light there is from the entire process. So what shape do we think that curve might look like? Well, one way to approximate it would be to take a unit disc gradually cover it with another slightly bigger disk because of our perspective with the sun and then just track the total area we can see and of course we can run that in python first i use python to give me a white disk to represent the sun and then i've got a black disk for the moon which is scaled to the apparent sizes we had during the eclipse the moon was actually 1.092 percent bigger from our point of view the magenta by the way has no impact on the simulation. I put that in afterwards just so you can see where the moon is easily at all points in time. And you can see I'm tracking the percentage of the sun that's still visible. What I actually did was count all the pixels in the original disk and then I've just got the percentage. The fraction of the pixels you can see for every frame as the moon covers it up. And yes, there's a analytical way I could have just calculated each of these but this makes the simulation a bit more flexible which is going to come in handy in a moment. Although, the sun is not a uniformly bright disk, it actually gets dimmer the further out you go. So we could compensate for that with an unevenly coloured in disk that then we cover with the moon. And you know I did that. Here is my simulated sun that gets darker as you go further out. Now the actual physics behind why that happens is a bit complicated. It's because when you're looking at the middle of the sun, you can actually look further into the sun. Because when you look at the edges of the sun, you're looking at it like a glancing blow. And so you can only look so far into the sun because of the optical depth. Or rather, that's where the photons are emitted from the plasma. And the ones on the side have to go through more plasma to get to us. So we're actually looking at ones that are closer to the sun's surface. And they actually produce less photons because they're cooler. The point is, it tapers off as you get to the edge and I've used this formula as an approximation for that process and different frequencies of light actually have different u values in this approximation I've picked a u of 0.7 which is pretty good across the range of visible light we're looking at if anything it's a little bit higher than you'd expect so I've got the Sun about 40 percent brightness at the edge which is slightly more limb darkening than you'd expect but I thought I'd go for something that makes it a bit more visually obvious what's happening and hopefully if we look at the values I'm getting out of this simulation and now I'm adding up all the fractional values of the pixels that are still visible it will be sufficiently different when we compare it to the first simulation and what about the fact we're just pointing it at the sky I'm sure people who know more about the atmosphere are yelling things involving refraction and scattering and yes I know it's not a perfect metric and of course the sun is moving during this, so it's getting like closer to the point of the sky I'm pointing at. I guess it's going to be complex. I think we can still pull out some kind of nice curve. Finally, after all this waiting around, second contact happened and we had totality. This is the main bit of the eclipse. This is why everyone was there. This is the bit where Lucy could take the cover off her telescope to record her polarized light data she only cared about the photons arriving during the total eclipse because she just wanted to see the Sun's atmosphere now that all of the photosphere was finally blocked post eclipse and I have a mild problem because the Sun's moved so much and I didn't put enough thought into where I put the scope originally the Sun is now actually going into the tube which means I'm getting crazy high readings down here like way higher than I got before more than would be justified by just like the sun moving around in the sky. So even though it's going to kind of ruin the data, I'm going to move it. If I didn't move it, the data would be ruined as well. So I think the only thing I can do is shift it into a new like equivalent spot in the sky and hopefully that'll fix the data problem. I could do that. That's a more realistic uh, value on the thing down here. But what I'm worried about is if people walk by it changes. So I'm just going to walk by Think that's adjusting because of me. I'm gonna go with that as my best option so I, I, sadly it's now pointing a lot more kind of horizontal and I did the change at 12 minutes past 12. And so we now just had to wait for the end of the eclipse. I'm not gonna lie most of the people left after totality people just packed up and they were on their way but not us we were gonna wait there patiently get all of that delicious data however you don't have to wait because you're watching this in the future, and I know someone who's already got all of the final data and is able to show us what the results look like. Future Matt here, I'm back in Perth now, and I've both got all the data from the Parkerscope onto my laptop, and I thought it would be fun to film the data processing bit in the sun. So I've come down the beach, hopefully the sound will really those very loud waves. Hopefully the sound of that's not gonna be a problem. I, I have the plot and I'll show it to you. And here it is, check it out. That's, that's the data, isn't that incredible? So you can see, I mean, straight out of the box, you can see here I repositioned the Parker scope. That's when, oh, like's happening now. There was sun going into the tube and that's obviously reflecting onto the sensor. The sensor's very sensitive. That's why it's called the sensor, short for sensitive. And, uh, and so I repositioned it here. You can see the adjustment and then all this noise I'm pretty sure that is people walking past, uh, reflecting light onto my incredibly sensitive scientific equipment. And then here, it does flatten out post-eclipse, so I have got the post-baseline. But you know what? I've got such a good beginning bit. So this is before the eclipse, all the way into the eclipse. There's totality, that little bit there, and then it comes out afterwards. This is where the sun starts hitting it. So you know what? It's symmetric. We're just going to use the first... Now, one thing you may have noticed, there's a few spikes in my data. So this is like outliers, like anomalies in the data. Now this spike here, I've actually got a zoom in of just that section. You can see there's there's the recordings we should be getting as it's getting darker. Suddenly, boom, naturally low value, and then back up again. Now the new line here is actually slightly lower. So I could get rid of that. Where's that small one? There it is there. So if I was to delete, delete those two bits of data, there we go. Uh, Shift up. There we go. Okay, now you can see there's the before, drop, and after. So my theory is this is when, I mean, either someone walked over into something weird when I wasn't paying attention to the Parker scope, or this is when it was switching scales, going from one scale, like one range of values to the next range down, and maybe it doesn't perfectly line up before and after. Who knows? But what I did was I just... I removed the outliers. I just straight up deleted them. I didn't try and do anything else clever around it. So you can still see little steps, little step function there where I've taken out that. And I've only got the before of the eclipse and then I've got totality and ever so slightly after. Two things to note here one you can see, one you can't. The one you can see is the lead in. This is before we had the eclipse even starting. This should be perfectly normal day-like, like any other day, and sadly it's changing. It's gradually going up, and that's because the sun's moving in the sky, and that's changing the intensity of what the Parker Scope's looking at. And secondly, if you look at the totality, so if I zoom in, where's the totality? Here it is. I zoom, look at that! So here it is. The light is coming down, 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 and then it goes flat, and there's a tiny, like, such a small value of, like, residual light that's going on, and that I guess is either light that's being reflected in from the atmosphere elsewhere, or it's from the corona, I don't know, but is a trivial, like 0.1% of what we've got to start with left. But even that is very, very slowly going up. So even over the one minute duration of the absolute totality part of the eclipse, even though there's barely any light, you can still see it ever so gradually changing because the sun and the moon are still moving in the sky and so there's still that one weird change at least i assume that's what's happening and so what i did was i took the lead-in data this is like the if you go back to the whole plot this is just this section up here before the eclipse has started at all you take the lead-in data i approximated that as a linear curve just like a straight line and i worked out what that is and i worked out then what i'd have to do to remove that from the data if you do that with a simple linear correction, you go from the blue line, that's before I've corrected it, down to the orange line. That's now, see, we have a perfect flat start here. The totality is, is better, but not perfect. It's still got a very slight increase on it, but i would have to do something far more complicated to fix that. Now, if you're thinking, surely there's a better way to do this than just a you know really naive linear approximation of what was going on, you're correct. I could've done a much better job, and there's a lot of reasons why I didn't and what I tried. They're all a bit too much for this video, so I'm gonna make a bonus Patreon-only video because it's my fantastic Patreon supporters who meant that I got to go and do all this at the Eclipse anyway. So on Patreon, there's a video where I explain other things I tried to do to calibrate, fix, compensate uh, the data, and we look at two cheeky mysterious spikes. Ooh, ones that I haven't talked about in the main video. So if you wanna check that out, I'll link to it below and at at a minimum have a moment to appreciate the Patreon supporters who make these videos possible but what we're going to do now is compare what I've got here the orange line to the simulations where I was moving the discs in front of the sun. Here's the first one this was the full sun with no limb darkening and uh, there, there you go you can see fully bright I've just normalized everything to be one and then it dips down totality goes back up again those are the numbers that you saw Uh, in the previous uh, simulation video that I had. And if I add on now the dim sun uh, you can see it's a subtly different line. Actually, no. if I drag that down you can have a bit of a closer look at it. So you can see it's exactly the same idea. The purple one is the no limb darkening and you can see the green one with his limb darkening. First of all it stays a little bit brighter for longer because it's the dimmer bit that's being covered. And don't forget it's all normalized to the initial brightness in both cases so it all lines up and then it, uh, then it overtakes and then it's below. So without limb darkening, the drop-off is a lot more straight, linear. With limb darkening, it, it, first of all, it goes out and then it comes down underneath. It's, it's a little more flamboyant, which is kind of fun. So the question now is, where did the data from the scope land? Well, I got it. So first of all, I took uh, the simulation data, I converted it to be the same range as what I had off the ParkerScope. I then took the ParkerScope data and normalized it to be one as well, so it all lines up. I put it together and it looks like this. And now you can see there's no limb darkening in the purple. There's the actual data in the orange and there's with limb darkening. So the, the actual data is slightly above it, but the same shape as the darkening. They all cross it about the same place, give or take. And then down here, look at that match. Look at it. That's so, I mean, there's the bit where I took the spike out and things kind of adjust. So I'm just going to assume that all the stuff over here on the left, actually, you can see there, it steps off. Ah, all of that, I think that's an issue with the sensor. And that should be dropped down perfectly onto the green, which I considered doing. But I was like, that's too close to fudging the data. So this this is the actual raw data with that one linear correction. But I think that should be a little bit lower. And look at the bottom there, look at that match. And it's just a little bit on the inside. So if you remember, when did the limb darkening, I went like more in the dark direction. than I erred on more darkness rather than less. And I'm now just inside that. So actually, this gives us some insight into the sun. Because the reason you get the limb darkening is because of the gradient of the temperature in the plasma under the photosphere in the sun. And because of the optical depth of how far the photons could move. If you didn't have this gradient in temperature that changes the photon production, you wouldn't have any limb darkening. But we do have limb darkening. The Parker Scope has managed to prove that there is limb darkening on the sun, which means you can use the data from the Parker Scope to deduce roughly the nature of the temperature gradient of the plasma inside the sun as it goes below the photosphere. That is a fundamental insight into the nature of our star (laughs) because I took a cardboard tube to an eclipse. Ah, I'm so pleased. I mean, I was braced for this to not show anything. And it'd be a bit of a bit of a laugh, you know, vague curve. And once again, I like to model the idea that you just, you give things a go. You try it and you don't need fancy equipment. You just give it a go. And I gave it a go. And I was able to show something about the fundamental physics of the sun ah oh. oh i'm so proud i'll hand you back over to past matt at the eclipse we now have all of our data i hope you enjoyed whatever i managed to do with it we're going to pack up the parkoscope now save it for the next eclipse and head home i just want to thank all my patreon supporters who make this possible i know it looks like it's just me larking around on holiday which it kind of is but there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes, a lot of costs and, and teams and editing and all sorts of things. It's all enabled by my Patreon supporters. So thank you so much to each and every single one of you. You mean I can make videos like this. And these days, there are so many incredible math YouTubers out there making all sorts of videos. If we compare if you the video we just took for how long now, between, between when it, and sort of it started and when it ended, then we, then we can actually the determine the ratio of sure you're the only YouTuber the here making a mathematics video. So thank you so much. Here are the names of all the people you should be grateful to. For all your
1: support.